Are there deadly evil currents that can rip us from the arms of God in the floods of life? The Apostle Paul answers this question in Romans 8:28 and following. He speaks to us about God's unbreakable bonds of love expressed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our study leader, Dave Wurtson, shares the incredible news we will consider in the conclusion of Romans 8. We probably haven't had a wetter spring. Remember back in June, it seemed like Holcomb City was just getting pounded. The tornadoes hit him, and then those floods hit him. And one of the stories that just devastated me was the Collins family. Their trailer was overturned, and they were trying to get away in a boat. The boat capsized, and the grandmother and a little sister, and especially the two-year-old daughter, was just swept away. And they found Alexandria Collins about two hours later. And watching the news that night, you just weep. I just see this incredible family that just swept away. And then the floods hit Minnesota. They've hit Ohio. I don't know if you've ever been around water when it's just sweeping through and it just captures you in that current. It's one of the most helpless feelings in the world. And some of you have probably had dreams at night where you've been in rushing water and someone's holding on to you and suddenly the grip is gone. And your loss. One of the stories that really uh, got my life very early, I was just a young boy when the Navigators, you've heard of Campus Crusade, and the Navigators was another college ministry, and Dawson Trotman was the founder of the Navigators. He was a really close friend of my dad's. They traveled all over the world together. They uh, had gone into many dangerous places. They'd actually preached the gospel in hostile audiences. And Dawson and my dad were really close friends. And in the early 50s, Dawson rented Word of Life. My dad's camp up in upstate New York would be open for 10 weeks. But often the first week, they would rent out the property to other Christian organizations. And the Navigators uh, rented Word of Life uh, for the first week of camp. And my dad took Dawson and several others for a speedboat ride. And uh, we have a rule at Word of Life that the only person that can ride on the side of a speedboat is the guy that's driving, or because uh, sometimes you need to sit on the edge of the speedboat, and all of you that have boats have done that, so you can see up over the windshield, especially if sprays come into the windshield. And uh, uh, just as a regular rule during the normal 10-week period, uh, for years and years and years, it's one of the first things my dad would say, nobody sits on the edge of the boat. Well, Dawson and a bunch of the guys who were in the boat were sitting on the edge of the boat, and my dad just casually said, only with some firmness, you know, I think we need to get in the boat. And uh, you know how it is, you know, you're out on the lake, and some people will be doing this on Labor Day this weekend. Dawson said, well, Jack, you know, I'm the one that's director of the camp technically this week. And uh, so, you know, and so they just kind of lapped it off. So the guys, these girls and Dawson and everyone else were on the side of the boat, suddenly a girl fell into the water, fell out of the boat. And uh, Dawson just reflexively dove in after the girl. And my dad, uh, as soon as he realized what happened, which was just like that, but if you ever pulled a skier, when your skier goes down, it takes a little time to kill the power, whip the boat around. And the old-fashioned boats back in the 50s didn't turn like ski natiques where you can get back on a guy right away. So it took a little while for my dad to spin the speedboat around, get back, When my dad got back, the girl was holding on. She was a good swimmer. 
And Dawson was a really good swimmer, but something had happened, and the girl was holding on to Dawson Trotman's hair. And just when my dad got back, she lost her grip. And Dawson went to the bottom of Stern Lake, which is more than 250 feet deep, and he never came up again. And that, so I was, one of, that, one of the powerful stories. I remember my dad, I was a little bitty kid. I remember my dad going into a bedroom, and he wouldn't see anybody. He wouldn't talk to anybody. Uh, you notice that my brother has gray hair, and I have gray hair, but when my dad's hair went gray in a week during that week, during the summer, when Dawson Trotman drowned in Scroon Lake. And I had that incredible image of losing grip and you're lost. This morning I want to talk to you about the fact in your own life, will there ever be raging water? Will there ever be an illness? Will there ever be a psychological trauma? Will there ever be some demonic force? Will there, whatever you want to imagine, will there ever be something that comes against your life that causes God to lose his grip on you? That is Paul's subject in Romans chapter 8. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 is speaking to a group of people, which is the majority of you who have received Christ as as their Savior. We started at Romans chapter 8 with the incredible promise, there's therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to talk about some verses today that are often used at funerals, and I often hear them used this way. And, uh, but I want you to understand that Romans chapter 8 isn't written just to the whole human race. It's written to those that are in Christ. It started out, there's therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the laws of sin and death. If you'll, it's very important when you study scripture to look at the context. I also want to, to give you confidence. If you don't know Jesus as your savior, there's no reason why you can't respond to the crucified and risen savior even while I'm speaking. But in order to be true to the Apostle Paul, as we look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28, how many of you have ever heard the phrase and had all kinds of people say it, all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to their purpose? Anybody ever heard that verse used? Everybody uses that verse. Well, what I want you to realize, it's very important. We need to think about, according to Paul, who loves God and who are those that are called according to their, their, his purpose? And what we have as Paul looks at Romans chapter 8, verse 28, is in the flow of this argument where the Apostle Paul is trying to help you if you've responded to his message. In fact, this Romans 8 passage comes as the conclusion of an argument that the Apostle Paul started in Romans 1.18 that talked about the wrath of God being poured out against all sin and wickedness, and he's been building and sharing about the salvation that's provided, another kind of righteousness that's given to us as a gift. And Romans 8 that we close with today is going to be this incredible, it's like a great climax in his story. And it's a powerful summary of all that he wants you to grab a hold of. And if you know Christ as your Savior, the Apostle Paul wants you to realize that the Father doesn't just have a hold of you by your hair lock. And some of you have Satan come into your life and says, you know, how could you ever think that? How could you ever, you know, be involved in that? How could you ever do that? You know, you couldn't possibly be God's child. Or if a terrible accident happens, you wonder, like, is God judging me? Is he condemning me? Early believers wrestled with those same traumas. If we were to open the floor up right now, all of you can think of traumas that you face in my own life. 
Right here in the Patriot, I think of a young horse trainer that drowned coming back from Arlington one night. And I was right there when we fished him out of the creek right down here, just a little bit west of the city. I remember being with young parents when their baby was stillborn. And right there in the hospital, instead of welcoming a brand new healthy baby, I was holding a stillborn child in my arms and committing that new life into the eternal life of Jesus. And we're going to have to wait to be reunited. I remember those times. Often I've gone through bankruptcies with very close friends and gone through the agony of someone that was way up financially, then they lose everything. In our own personal life, not just in pastoral life, you've heard me share how we lost Mary's youngest brother because a drunk driver hit him. We lost her older brother because of a heart attack. You've also heard about the trial and the testing. Our very first grandchild hasn't ever been able to really talk to us that much because her amino acid sequences and her DNA isn't exactly right And so she's wrestling with Rett syndrome. So we're not going to really, really be able to get to know Blythe until eternity. Those testings of life, all of us are going to face. And the Apostle Paul has been raising that issue. As you go through the storms of life, and the man that's going to speak to us this morning is a man that was stoned. He faced uh, nights where he was shipwrecked and he spent all night long in the water. He spent hours and hours and days and days and years and years in prison. So the man that's speaking to us knew what trials were like, and yet he still wrote these words in Romans 8.28. Look at them. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. He's speaking about weaknesses. He talked about, we know that the whole creation is groaning. So he's been talking about the suffering we've been going through. And then he brings it to this great conclusion. And we know that in all things, that is, in everything we face, in all things, every detail of your life, in all things, God is working for the good. God is working for the good. And the good for the Apostle Paul in this context is going to be your conformity to the image of Christ. Good is very specific. The great good plan that God has for you is that those that trust in Jesus, if you've come to the moment in your life when you've trusted Jesus and you believed in him, then the Apostle Paul is saying that the good that God has for you is going to culminate with you reflecting the image of Jesus. And he's saying in this verse that God is working all the events of your life. Everything is working together for good. For those who love him, and in this context, those who love him would be those that have come to Christ, those that have trusted his cross, those that have trusted in the resurrection. To those who love him, to those that are called according to his purpose. And we're going we're gonna to explain in the next verse what it means to be called according to his purpose. Now let me first of all talk about the fact that and it's, I've often heard this verse taught that everything is good. In fact, I was at a banquet one night where I heard a daddy who had lost his son in a rock climbing accident. And the daddy stood before about a couple thousand people in downtown Dallas and said, I thank the Lord for that rock climbing accident. Well, I felt like standing up and says, I don't thank the Lord for the rock climbing accident. I think it was a bummer. I think it was a horrible, devastating thing for you to lose your son. I don't think death is a good thing. Now, I understood what the, what the person was saying, that God used it in his life. But one of the things the Apostle Paul's made really clear in Romans 
is that we're presently in a world where there is real evil, and real evil isn't good. That makes sense? There's real wickedness, and wickedness isn't good. We live in a world where there is good and there is evil. And the Apostle Paul is saying that that's a real part of our existence. So he doesn't say everything is good. What he's saying is that there's a sovereign author of history, a sovereign author of our life. There's an ultimate eternal God who's writing a story. When the story's all put together, it'll turn out to be good because it will accomplish what God intended the story to accomplish. And what he intended in this context is if you've come to Christ and you've trusted Christ, Paul's purpose is saying God's going to make you like his son and you're going to be in the midst of millions of other people that are like his son and it all depends upon the work of God. That's what Paul is saying in this context. That's the good and he talks about the call. You say, well, Dave, what's the call? When I was five years of age, I heard my dad speaking. And I was just a little bitty kid. My dad was saying, Christ died on the cross for our sins. Christ rose again. You need to believe in him. And I felt a voice inside of me saying, you need to trust that. You need to believe that. How many of you have ever had that voice? That's what Paul's talking about. The call, those that are called according to his purpose, in this context means God has a purpose to bring you to faith in him. And looking at it from God's perspective, we're not looking in this context at your salvation from human perspective. We're looking at it from God's perspective. Paul is saying that there came a moment in your life, in time, when God called you. And you might not remember exactly when that time was. It might be more like a process in your life. But from the divine perspective, the Father in heaven called to you. And you were called according to his purpose, which was to conform you to his son so that Jesus would have a great big family. And you say, well, Dave, where did that all start? Where did that, you know, that call that came to me, where did that all start? And this is really important. The Apostle Paul is now going to say that you're safe from eternity to eternity. It's an incredible thing. The Apostle Paul is going to take us back before there was creation. And he's going to make an incredible claim. And he makes his claim not for us to have arguments, theological arguments, about God's determination, whether we believe in fatalism, because we don't. This is a personal Lord God, a personal triune God. As I teach you this morning, it's very important for you not just to theologize, but you need to respond to this personally. If you know Christ as your Savior, if you have come to faith in him, if you've had the Holy Spirit come to live inside of you, the Apostle Paul wants you to hear that that relationship with Jesus was grounded securely in eternity past. You say, Dave, what are you talking about? He says that who have been called according to his purpose. Four, look at verse 29. For God foreknew, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What's, what's the Apostle Paul saying? He begins with eternity past. Two words for eternity past. He says those he foreknew. You say, well, Dave, well, that means that God knows everything beforehand. Yeah, it does mean that. Because we have an omniscient God. God knows everything. Before creation, God knew everything. But that's not what the Apostle Paul is saying here. For no, to know beforehand, 
The word no for the Apostle Paul, especially as a Hebrew, doesn't just mean that I know facts and I know information. It means, like, for example, in the Old Testament, when it says that God knew Abraham, it means that God had intimacy with Abraham. It means that God had a relationship with Abraham. It also has the feel in the Old Testament that God made a choice that he wouldn't have a special relationship with Abraham. And that's what the Apostle Paul has in view in this context. The foreknowledge of God here is not just that God looked down from eternity past, looked and knew all the details of everyone's life. That's true. Because God's omniscient. But that's not what Paul is saying to you this morning. What he's saying to you this morning is that in eternity past, your daddy in heaven knew beforehand that he would have an intimate relationship with you. If you don't know Jesus and you get mad, say, well, why don't I have an intimate relationship with Jesus? I want you to know, as I'm speaking to my fellow brother and sister this morning, you should receive Jesus this morning. And you shouldn't get mad with God because he's God. And if you do get mad, it shows what's really going on in your heart. That's what's going on in this passage. But Paul is speaking to those of us that are already in the family And he's saying that in eternity past, our heavenly daddy knew beforehand that we would have an intimate relationship with you. He knew beforehand when I was five years of age that he would call me. And he knew the way I would respond. And he didn't manipulate me. He didn't control me. There's a great miracle in that. But he knew all that was involved in that decision. And that's the same true, that same fact is true of every single one of you. In an eternity past, God knew beforehand, every one of you, that you would have a relationship with Christ. And second of all, he says he before decreed, or we use the word in English, predestined. But the idea here is the picture is of a king, of a ruler, that is the ruler of all things. And he sets out a decree, he sets out a command, a before command, that I'm going to have a relationship with Dave Wurtzen. I'm a relationship with you. And he commands that's going to take place. That's what predestination means. It's not God fatalistically. It's not God fatalistically controlling the future. It's very personal. He made a decision of grace totally freely. We're going to learn in Romans 9, before I was even born, before you were even born, before we ever did anything good or bad, God totally in his free grace, this is what free grace really means, he knew beforehand he would have intimacy with us, and he made a decree. He made a royal command that I would come to faith and that you would come to faith. And what he wants you as a child of God to do is he wants you to ground your salvation and rest in that incredible security. When you're going through trials, he wants you to just rest in that incredible security that in eternity past, my salvation was rooted in the heart of the Almighty God, your daddy in heaven. Isn't that incredible? Now, in the present, in present time, what's going to happen? Look what Paul says. 
He said in eternity past, God foreknew that he would have intimacy with, intimacy with me. He pre-decreed, he pre-gave a command that I would respond. It says that I would be conformed to the likeness of his son, which means he jumps all the way to the end of the process when I will become just like Christ in my character. Then he moves that, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. So God in eternity past said there's going to be millions upon millions of people in Jesus' family. Then he picks it up in verse 30. Those he predestined, those that he predecreed would be part of his family, he also called. Now we moved into the present. The call is the God side of the moment when you receive Christ as your Savior. God called to you. When you heard the gospel, you heard that Christ died for you, that was the divine Father's call. He called you in time, and that puts into effect what he decided in eternity past. And the next word deals with the moment you were saved and also with the process. Those that he called, he also justified. And that's the word that we've been talking about through the whole book of Romans. And it begins, the word justification we've learned begins, the moment I trust in Jesus, the moment I believe in Jesus, God the Father declares that I am righteous based upon the work of his son. The Apostle Paul also uses this word throughout the book of Romans, not just to that initial act of God, but Paul, unlike what we do in theology, Paul uses the same word for the process while you are being saved in this life. He uses the same word. And so when he uses it here, those that he called, he also justified. It refers to the moment that you were saved when God declared you righteous, but it also means the process when you're being conformed to the image of Christ progressively. In theology, we call that being set apart for God, the process of sanctification. So I want you to understand the Apostle Paul is summing up my whole life and your whole life in Christ. He's saying that the moment you received Jesus, you were declared righteous by the Father, and you are right with God, totally based upon the work of Jesus. During your life now, God promises he's going to be faithful in conforming you to the image of Jesus. Then he moves unbelievably into eternity future. Look what he says in the next verse. He says, those that he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. That's the present. Those he justified, still the present, he also glorified. And that moves ultimately when we're conformed to the image of the Son of God, when you're going to be transformed. So what Paul is saying is, if you're a child of God this morning, no matter what trial you might be facing, no matter what challenge you might be facing, no matter what doubt you might be facing, from eternity to eternity, you're secure in him. And that's what sustained the early church in the midst of incredible persecution. So, the, so in verse 31, the apostle Paul introduces another day. What shall we say then? If God is for us, who can be against us? We can be absolutely sure, based on what Paul is saying, that God is on our side. How many of you feel like God's on my side? Do you ever feel tempted to feel like maybe he isn't on our side? I do sometimes. But look what Paul says. God is telling us in these next few verses, he just told us about the Father's heart from eternity to eternity. Look what he says now about our daddy's heart in being for us. What shall we send in it in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? It's like saying if you've got the infinite, omnipotent, powerful, triune God on your side, all your enemies are small potatoes. That's the words and paraphrase. He says, he who didn't, and then he argues from the lesser to the greater. Now get this. He who did not spare his own son, 
but he gave him up for us. When did God give up his son for us? When we were his friends or when we were his enemies? Remember Romans 5? But God commended his love to us and that we're yet sinners. Christ died for us. Paul's picking up on that theme. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us. How will he will not also, along with him, graciously give him all things? The idea is, Jesus was given by God the Father. This is remind us of Abraham going to Mount Moriah way back in Genesis 22. Same kind of terminology as Jesus. And Abraham asked to deliver his son as a sacrifice. Only at Calvary, God the Father goes up on the mountain and he delivers his son. And there's no withstraining hand this time. And what it's arguing, if God the Father and God the Son willingly gave, God gave his son and Jesus willingly sacrificed his life for you when you were his enemy, how much more will you make it How much more will you be safe? How much more will you be transformed by the power of Christ now that he's risen from the dead and he's present in your life and he's made you a new person that's become his friend? That's what I want you to get a hold of. He argues from the lesser to the greater. He's saying you can be absolutely certain of the the Father's love, that the Father is on your side. So he says, who is he that condemns? So who's going to bring a charge against you? Sometimes you condemn yourself. The response to that is Christ Jesus is the one who died. Much more, he's raised to life. He's at the right hand of God. He's also interceding for us. What's the response we should have for that? I am safe. Everybody say that. I am safe. Why are you safe? Jesus died for you. He rose again because he rose again. He gave you a new life. And right now at the right hand of God, if demons or Satan or even your own personality condemns you and threatens you and attacks you, Jesus just stands up. He doesn't even have to stand up. He just shows him his hands. It's all covered. It's all forgiven. That's the incredible wonder of grace. It's an incredible thing. If you've received Jesus into your heart, I want you to understand the incredible wonder that God is now on your side. He's not angry with you. He's not condemning you. He's not judging you. You were safe in his arms in eternity. He effectively gathered you into his arms when he saved you, and he's going to carry you in his arms all the way through death and into eternal life that will last forever and ever, and nobody else in all the world can make those kind of promises, but my triune God can, amen? It's incredible. So then the apostle Paul builds. He's getting really excited. He says, who is he condemned? Well, Christ died. More than that, he was raised to life at the right hand of God. He's interceding for us. Who in the world is going to separate it from the love of Christ? Or what can separate it from the love of Christ? Because he starts talking about it. He says, shall trouble do it? What do you think? Can trouble separate you from the love of Christ? Can persecution separate you from the love of Christ? Our Korean brothers and sisters were just in prison in Afghanistan. Two of them died for their faith. When they died for their faith, were they separated from the love of Christ? Who went through that experience with them? Where are they now? That's what Paul is saying. You don't have to be scared. If you're a little child here today, my little kids, when they were young, would wake up in the middle of the night 
and having terrible dreams and, and great darkness could sometimes come and they're scared and they're afraid. The little child, a mom and dad, you can go in there and say, remember what we learned? Who's right here with us? Jesus is right here with us. Who's in love with us in the middle of the night in the darkness? Jesus is. And you can teach your little kids, nothing will ever separate them from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus. And so they don't have to be afraid of the boogeyman. They don't have to be afraid of the boogeyman that turn out to be pretty strong, heavy-duty enemies when you get to be an adult. And you don't even have to be afraid of death or cancer or anything, because nothing will separate it from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. It's just an incredible, incredible promise. He says, shall trouble separate us, shall persecution or famine. And Paul went through all these things, or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, then he quotes from the Psalms. He quotes from this Psalm where the Psalm raises the issue that uh, the righteous are suffering. And then this is a Psalm that talked about the fact that, that they didn't disobey the Lord, which was a rare time in the Old Testament. God's people were faithful to him. And they said, but for your sake, we have faced death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And that's the way we feel at times. We just feel like we're just facing death and we're facing like just like slaughtered animals being taken for the slaughter. The apostle Paul often felt that way. And I want you to know it's not wrong when you feel that way. The psalmist was able to pray. The Old Testament Israelite, Israelites were not afraid to talk to God about, look, God, I think this is unfair. I don't think I'm, I'm suffering for what's going on here. The Apostle Paul responds to this terrible attack from, the, from, from discouragement and, and the injustice of this life. This psalm is talking about the reality that there's great injustices that take place in life to God's people. And Paul's response to that is, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, and Paul just concludes by building it, neither death nor life, the opposites, death or life, Neither angels nor demons. So don't get hung up fighting all the demons because they can't separate. You focus on Jesus, not on the demons. Your Savior's left all of the demons in his train. He's conquered them all. They can't separate you. So don't spend a lot of time mapping out the demons, please. Spend a lot of time getting to know your Savior. Focus on him. Demons aren't even in the same playing field with Jesus because they can't separate us, neither the angels nor the demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any other powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lila Trotman went in to my dad. My dad wouldn't come out. I'll never forget it. I was a little bitty kid. And I couldn't figure out what was wrong with my dad. He wasn't responding. He wasn't talking. He locked himself in a room. And Lila Dawson Trotman's wife went into my dad's room and said, Jack, what are you doing? My dad said, if only, if only, if only. Why didn't I get back in time? One 30 seconds earlier, we could have saved him. And Lila said, Dawson Trotman's widow, said, Jack, didn't you and Dawson preach the gospel overseas in sometimes very hostile audiences where you could have lost your life? And Dad said, yeah. He said, didn't you guys travel, you know, literally thousands and thousands of miles together 
on airplanes and when back when airplane travel wasn't that safe all the time? My dad said, yeah. And then she said, you know, Jack, don't you think that the Lord could have got you back 30 seconds quicker or enabled that precious girl to hold on to Dawson's hair for just a few seconds more? All things work together for good to those that love God. Where's Dawson right now? Only Jesus can say, He's conformed to the image of his son because in eternity past, Dawson was safe. And in the present life, even in a horrible accident in Scroon Lake that I'll never understand, it didn't separate Dawson from Jesus' love. And Lila reminded my dad, it didn't separate my dad from Jesus' love either. And it didn't separate Lila from Jesus' love. And we've learned today that one day Dawson will come running towards his wife, Lila, and with their Savior, they will experience joy and love forever. And my dad will have his friend back again. But I want you to know that my dad walked out of that room and the navigators went on with new leadership to become an organization that's still taking this blessed gospel of Jesus into all the world. And my dad's hair turned gray, but his mouth became even stronger to tell you what I've told you today. Who can separate it from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus? And the answer is nothing, no one. You are safe from eternity past. God effectively calls you and justifies you in the present. And my precious brothers and sisters, you're going to be glorified just like his son. And it's not rooted in my effort or in yours, but the incredible, gracious, omnipotent power of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Teach your kids about that incredible grace. Don't let it be just an argument about predestination. What we've learned today is about the heart of your incredible father and your big brother, Jesus, and the power of his spirit living your life. You can tell others about Jesus being absolutely sure that you're unashamed because the gospel will be the power of God into salvation and everyone's going to respond that the Lord is called. For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at Truth Encounter, Box 580, Midlothian, Texas, 76065, or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com. Our telephone number is 1-888-668-7884.